Testing one, two. Hey, sorry folks at home. It happens. It happens. Maybe next time I won't try to preserve the batteries. All right. Let me say this before we dive into the study of Abraham. I just, I'm so used to calling him Abraham. I, even I know he's called Abram in the first couple of parts of his story, but I'm just so used to calling him Abraham. To be able to look at a character like Abraham from thousands of years ago and to be able to relate it to our lives today and apply it to our lives today is just incredible. And that's exactly what we're going to see. Everything we study about the life of Abraham and how he walked with God are things that you and I can apply to our own life every single day. So it just reminds us of the relevancy of the Word of God. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at the call of Abram. But before we get into Genesis 12, I wanted you to go to Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews 11, because even in the New Testament, Abraham is given a lot of attention. Obviously, he was the start of it all for the Hebrew nation. And I want to begin with Acts chapter 7, verse 2, where Stephen references Abraham. And the reason I want to look at these two passages tonight is to remind us that Abraham was moving in Genesis 12 based on the call of God. He didn't just like, oh, I think I'll go to Canaan. No, he was responding to the voice of God. And this is referenced twice in the New Testament. So Stephen replied in Acts 7, 2, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, even before he settled in Haran. And we talked about that last week. Abraham was a pagan. He was from a family of idolaters. It wasn't like God chose him because he was this spiritual giant. No, God just chose him out of grace. And he said, go out from your country and from your relatives and come to the land I will show you. Verse 4, then he went out from the country of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran After his father died, God made him move to this country where you now live. So obviously, Stephen is saying, Abraham moved because God called him, and he responded positively to the call of God. Then, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as an inheritance. And notice this. He went out without understanding where he was going. All God said was, go. Didn't tell him where. By faith, he lived as a foreigner. That's important, and we'll come back to that. In the promised land, as though it were a foreign country living in tents 
with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. And here's why he was willing to do it. For he was looking forward to the city with firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The call of Abram tonight, Genesis chapter 12. If you'll go back there, I want to use five words that will guide our journey through this chapter. Partnership, promises, pilgrimage, priorities, preservation. All right? First of all, I want us to be reminded of the partnership here. If you go back to Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, and we already learned in Acts and in Hebrews, God spoke to him when he was in a foreign land, wasn't in the land of promise yet, was still with his family. They were all pagan idolaters. That's when God spoke to him, okay? The important thing here is that God speaks to people. Whether they know him or not, God is always seeking to speak to people. Do we, as God's people, listen for and recognize the voice of God in our lives? Do we recognize the voice of God? Do we know the voice of God? Do we follow the voice of God? That's how God leads his people. He leads us by speaking to us. Therefore, we've got to get used to hearing the voice of God. Jesus even said in that great passage in the Gospel of John, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice as their shepherd, and they follow me. It's exactly what Abram was doing. Even at this point, as someone that we wouldn't consider to be a follower of God yet, but he was starting that journey. Remember, I've been talking the last couple of weeks about how we've learned in the book of Genesis we are all links in a chain. There are many who came before us, and there will be many who come after us, and somewhere along the line, we're just that link, and we either start a legacy of walking with God, or we continue a legacy that's been passed to us of walking with God. Well, here, Abram was the first link. God started with Abram, you see. So he was going to be the beginning of this link that was going to go and still exist to this day. But it all started with God speaking to him. I believe God's speaking to us tonight, speaking to us through our worship, speaking to us through his word, speaking to us through his Holy Spirit. And notice what God says to him here in verse 1. Go out, literally, keep moving. Because remember, he and his father and some other relatives we saw last week at the end of chapter 11, they all left Ur, came to Haran, were on their way to Canaan, but when they got to Haran, they sort of settled down there and they sat. And they didn't continue. And we talked about the fact of don't stop short of Canaan. Don't die in Haran. Keep on persevering in the faith and get all the way to where God wants you and I to get to. And that's exactly then when Abram was in Haran, what God, or what he heard God say to him. Don't stay here. 
Keep on moving with me. Go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, in this call, what God is calling him to is the same thing God calls us to, and that is to enter into a partnership with him, God, and walk with him every day, listening for his voice, following him where he leads us. That is the partnership that God desires for every last human being. I mean, Abram was the first, but you and I can continue that link, if you will, into being a people that hears the voice of God, says, God, like Abram, I will follow you, I will enter into this partnership with you, and I will walk with you every day for the rest of my life. And we're going to see this partnership play out, just as we talked about Sunday. It's not something that God wants us to sit back passively and just, you know, he hands us everything. It's we enter into this partnership, and, and we do this with God. We do this together. Now, something, though, very important here. You'll notice both last week and this week, in God's call, God says, Get out from your home, get out from your people, your family, because I've got to, I've got to get you to a place, Abram, that, that not that I want you to live in isolation, because that's never good. I'm going to put you back in to fellowship with others, but I need you, just like I need everybody, to learn to follow me, if you will, on your own two feet. And, and, and to be a follower of mine without, without needing all these other people around you to, to be what you need. Then, once you learn to follow me, and you learn to do this personally and individually, then I can place you back into a community where you can be part of something bigger than yourself, as we're talking about through Joshua now, but where you also have the confidence to be able to stand on your own and follow me as well and be an example of that to other people in the community. That's why I don't want you around those that you may look to and rely on because they're your family or because of your comfort zone of being in your, your homeland and all that. I want you to come out. Now, I'll say it at this point. Abraham was not completely obedient to that, was he? Because though he might have not been able to control his father, Lot came along and all these other family members came along. That wasn't what God said. God said, I need you to come out alone first. I need you to learn to follow me first. Then you can go back and be part of that. And he never really did do that. And you know what? Isn't it interesting that because he didn't do that, that many times the family that he took with him caused issues, right? We'll talk about that when it comes to it. So partnership, partnership. But notice, just like with us, when God calls us into partnership with him, there are always promises attached to the partnership, just like there is with us. Not necessarily the same promises that he gave to Abram, but you and I, as we talked even about again on Sunday, and again, how these studies are just, you know, dovetailing together, 
how the promises of God need to be key to our partnership with God and how we need to trust in those promises no matter what. Even if they're not fulfilled in our lifetime, we still need to trust in them and pass that kind of trust on to others who come behind us. I want you to see the six promises that God made to Abram. First, end of verse 1, I will show you. I will show you a land. And by the way, that word show means to be able to only see it through God. Oh, that's so important. You see, God is trying to teach his people, and even Abram all the way back, there's only certain things that you're going to be able to see through partnering with me. You're going to be blind to certain things. You're not going to be aware of certain things unless you partner with me. But when you partner with me every day and you walk with me, you'll actually be able to see things through me that you could never see on your own without me. I will show you. Second promise. I will make you into a great nation, a great community. And there again, so that's why we know that God doesn't want any of us to be alone or to live in isolation from other people. He wants us to learn to stand on our own two feet spiritually. He wants us to learn to ascertain his voice and follow him and know what that's like, but then come back in to something bigger than ourselves and be part of a much larger community. God is saying to Abram, you're just going to be one part of this great, massive nation, this community that I want to build and I want to start with you. And that's even a reminder. Again, God doesn't need a lot to start with. He can start with one man, Abram, and he can build an entire nation, a nation that still exists to this day. Third, I will bless you. That's the third promise from God. And notice, God blesses us end of verse 2, so that we can become a source of blessing. Don't miss that. That's always the case, even again in our day. God always blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others, so that you will exemplify divine blessing. Fourth promise, I will make your name great. And again, that's in contrast to chapter 11, verse 4, where in the story of the Tower of Babel, all those people who were under the influence of the spirit of the world, they wanted to make a name for themselves. And again, Genesis says, two sort of branches of the tree. There's one group of people that always pursues living on earth to make a name for themselves. There's another group of people, God's people, who seek to promote and magnify and elevate and exalt the name of God. And yet note, when we are all about magnifying God, God will promote our name. We don't have to promote ourselves. So many Christians today are trying to, you know, promote themselves and promote their ministries, and, and they work so hard at trying to get their name out there and, you know, the whole social media thing and all that. And I thought to myself, how exhausting, first of all. If you do what God wants you to do, God will promote you much better than any of us or any human being or any human agency or any advertising agency ever could. We've got to trust him. He can make you great before others if he wants to. He can exalt. 
he can elevate and he can do it better and quicker and all of that than any of us ever can. That's the fourth promise. The fifth promise, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and, and, but the one who treats you lightly, I must curse. God says, here's the other promise. Because you and I are in this partnership together, how other people treat you is really how they treat me. And you think about that. That same principle is given to us by Jesus in the New Testament. Same principle. When he says, if you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto who? Me. Jesus identifies himself with his people because we entered into partnership. So Jesus is saying to us, if people treat you well, I'll treat them well because they treated you well. If they treat you badly, make no mistake about it. I'll make sure that that's taken care of because they're treating me that way because you and I are wrapped up in this together. Again, that's why we don't need to ultimately defend ourselves. God does a much better job at not only promoting our name but defending us than anyone ever could. We just, again, have to trust him to do that. That's the other promise that he gives to Abram. And then finally, verse 7, on down a little bit further, to your descendants I will give this land. I will show you the land was the first promise. The last promise, I'll give you this land. But notice, it wasn't to Abram, was it? It was to his descendants. Abram would never enjoy the land, so to speak. He, he, would, he would travel through it. But he would never really settle down there. That was never his role as the first link in this chain of a great nation that God was getting ready to build. Now, I'm jumping a little bit ahead into next week, but I want to point this out since it's right here in front of us. God was not going to give him this land and show him this land until he began to walk with God a little bit. It was in chapter 13, verse 15, when the land is divided between him and Lot, that God says to Abram, look from the place where you stand to the north, south, east, and west. I will give all the land you see to you and your descendants forever. If Abram hadn't been willing to follow God, he would have never seen the land that God had promised to him. See, sometimes, in fact, most of the time, God wants us to take some steps of faith with him before he shows us things. We want just the opposite, right? We want God to lay it all out there for us and show us, and then we'll follow. But God doesn't do that. We even saw in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, what does the writer of Hebrews say? Abram left his homeland, left his family, left his comfort zone without really knowing where God was going to lead him. That's faith. That's faith. And that's what God asks of us many times. You take the steps of faith with me in partnership with me, and as I see that you begin to walk with me, then I'll start to show you things. I'll start to clarify things. I'll start to reveal greater things to you, but I want to see that you're willing to follow me without knowing all the details, you see. 
Those were the promises of God that were all tied to a partnership with God. And again, God does the same thing with us. He calls us into partnership with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We enter into that partnership by faith in Christ. Then we begin to see God reveal to us these promises, promises that go along with our walking and partnership with God, which then leads me to this third word in this passage, which is pilgrimage. It's a partnership, but it's a pilgrimage. Look at verse 4 of chapter 12 of Genesis. So Abram left. It meant he kept moving. He kept walking with God just as the Lord had told him, spoke to him to do. Again, he just kept following the voice of God. He kept moving on. But the thing was, Abram never settled down. In fact, look at verse 8. Well, actually, look at verse 6 real quick first. Abram traveled or traversed through the land. See? It was a pilgrimage. Look at verse 8. Then he moved, he proceeded, he advanced from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. We'll come back to that and worship the Lord. But notice verse 9. Abram continually journeyed by stages down to the Negev, or the southern part of Palestine. Basically, Moses is telling us Abram lived a pilgrimage lifestyle. In fact, later on in the story of Abram, we're going to see that it basically describes Abraham's life as driving in tent stakes, staying for a while, and then pulling up the tent stakes and moving his tent. And that's what Abram did. His whole life was a pilgrimage. And, and there's a lot here, and we're going to look at it as it unfolds throughout the chapters, but, but for even tonight, what we can say is God wants us to live the same way. Not that we can't have a home here, not that we can't in, in some way be settled here on earth, but God never wants his people to feel really settled here. We are told in the New Testament that we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are just passing through this earth, and we're just here for a very short time. God does not want us to put deep roots down here on the earth. Just as it said about Abram in the book of Hebrews, he was looking forward to a city whose building and architect was God, and that city was not an earthly city. That city was a heavenly city. That's what Abraham was looking forward to at all times. Not anything temporal, not anything physical, not anything material. That's not what Abraham was learning. He was learning to just walk with God, and wherever he went with God, that was good. And that he could be settled, not because he necessarily stayed in one place, because his settledness, his security, and his stability was all bound up in his personal partnership and walk and relationship with God. It had nothing to do with his circumstances. It had nothing to do with his life situation. It had nothing to do with him traveling around all the time. That's not what made him a stable figure, as we're going to see. It was his partnership that led to promises that illustrated for us this pilgrimage that God wants us all to go on with him. In a sense, again, tying into the book of Genesis or Joshua, we talked about Sunday, 
God wants his people always to be movable. And again, it doesn't mean we all have to be like Abram and just live in tents and just travel around, you know. But what it does mean is he wants his people to be pliable, to be compliant, to be willing to move at his voice. And that starts with our heart. Are we listening for the voice of God? Are we following what God's voice is saying to us, you see? Are we doing the things God asks of us? That's what it means to be on this pilgrimage. And it's a lifetime pilgrimage. God never wants his people to settle down to the point where we're not willing to move anymore, where we're unmovable. Then God says of his people, your heart is hard and I'm speaking to you, but you're just blowing me off. You're not listening to me. You're not moving. You're not responding. Which is why worship and a lifestyle of worship is so important. Because that's one of the great ways that you and I learn to keep responding to God and keep up a responsive, sensitive heart to the Lord through worship, which leads then to the Fourth P, as we journey through, priorities. What is the priority of Abram in this pilgrimage journey everywhere he goes? Worship. Notice what he does, beginning in verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the oak tree of Moreh at Shechem. Why is that significant? Because at that time, notice, the Canaanites were in the land. Moreh was a hill. Remember in the Old Testament, it talks about the high places? The high places were pagan altars and where pagan places of worship were. Notice what Abram did there. He built an altar at a place at Shechem, at the very high places of pagan worship. And that's where even God manifested himself, verse 7, to Abram, And so it says, because Abram received this revelation from God, what was his first response? Worship. See, that's where it's cyclical. God reveals himself to his people, and what should his people do? Respond in worship. That's again why here at the Oasis, the word fuels our worship, and worship fuels our response back to the word. That's exactly what the pattern you see in the Bible. God reveals himself to people like Abram, and what's Abram's first response? I'm going to worship the Lord. So notice, Abram set up or built an altar there to the Lord, a place of worship. Yes, a place of sacrifice, a place to meet God, a place to proclaim the name of the Lord and to petition the name of the Lord. That's what an altar was all about. It was setting up and establishing a place of worship. But notice where he did it. He did it on the very high place that was also a pagan altar was there. It was like Abram says, no, 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 this isn't isn't the enemy's territory. I'm claiming this hill for God. And God still wants his people to have the strength to be able to do that, to say, no, 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 this isn't Satan's territory. This is God's territory, and we're setting a site down here, and we're going to worship God right here, and we're going to take this territory for God. We're not going to let the enemy have this territory. That's exactly what Abram did. Even as a young follower, as a young partner with God, 
That's what we see Abram doing. But again, notice verse 8 and 9. He moved from there to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent, and Bethel was on the west and Ai on the east. And what did he do when he got there? First thing he did, he set up or built a place of worship, and he worshiped the Lord. Everywhere that Abram went, he made sure that he set up first a place where he could meet with God, where he could offer sacrifices, where he could talk to God, where he could worship God, where he could praise God. It was his meeting place between him and God. By the way, I want to go back up to the significance of Shechem. Shechem is a significant place in the Bible. And one of the cool things that happens in New Testament Shechem, by the time we get to the New Testament, it's not called Shechem anymore. It's called Sychar. Remember what happened in the Gospels at Sychar? That's exactly the place where Jesus met the woman at the well. Isn't that cool? That way back, Abram set up a place of worship for God at Shechem. And now go a couple thousand years and Jesus is on the earth and he meets the woman at the well at Sychar. Same place, same place. Everywhere that Abram went, you see the priority of worship. Through his partnership with God, he receives promises. He, he lives out and lives on the foundation of those promises as a pilgrim, always moving. His settledness, his stability, and security is in his God, not in his circumstances or his situation. And out of that, he learns to develop the priority of worship in his life, to make sure that everywhere he journeyed, there was a place of worship where he could meet with God and worship God. Ah, but then we come to the last part of the chapter and the last P, which is preservation. But before we get to that, let's look at this, verse 10. And what do we see? We know that the New Testament tells us that Abram was a person of faith. By faith, Abram did what he did, right? And here's what Abram learned and what you and I learned. God will always test our faith. God will always test our faith because a faith that is not tested is a faith that is weak. God wants to strengthen our faith. And the only way to strengthen our faith is sometimes to have the winds of adversity blow into our lives to make us stronger. Now, here we're going to see Abram didn't pass the test. But let's look at the test. What was the test? Well, notice verse 10. There was a famine in the land. A famine in the land of God's promise. This wasn't a famine where Abram wasn't supposed to be. Abram was smack dab exactly where he was supposed to be, and now he's experiencing a famine. Who brought about the famine? God. Why? To see how Abram would react. 
Would Abram trust God to provide for him, even if it meant provide supernaturally for him in the famine? Or would Abraham take matters into his own hands? Well, you know what he did. Because notice, it doesn't say Abraham went to his place of worship and consulted the Lord and prayed to the Lord and asked the Lord, Lord, what is your will? No. It says, Abram went down to Egypt. And by the way, that didn't just mean he physically went down. That is a picture of what Abram was now doing spiritually. He was going backwards because he wasn't trusting the Lord. See, you and I can be smack dab in the middle of God's will and still experience adversity. And we have a choice at that point. Are we going to just trust God to provide for us in the middle of that because we know we're where God has us and we know we're doing what God wants to do or are we going to try to escape the circumstances? And that's exactly what he does. He goes down to Egypt to stay for a while because the famine was severe. And as he approached Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, look, I know that you are a beautiful woman. Man, there's a smart man. <laughs> he might have really messed up here, but, you know, at least he knew where to start, right? <laughs> Although he's going to bring his wife into the scheme. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will keep you alive. So you tell them you're my sister so that it may go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on account of you. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. So Abram's wife was taken into the household of Pharaoh. Listen, when we find ourselves scheming to escape problems, beware, worse trouble is coming. It's exactly what Abraham did. He, he, he had a... He had his own scheme of how he was going to get out of this, and it only made his life worse. If he would have been walking by faith at that point. So again, Abram's life is very similar to ours, right? There are some days we're trusting in God, and we're walking by faith, and we're just trusting even in supernatural things, and then the next day we're... we're we're trusting in ourselves and our own human flesh and our own leaning on our own understanding and we're scheming and we're trying to figure all this out rather than resting and being settled and all of that in God. We, we can identify with Abram. But the point I want to make is when we act like Abram here, oh, it just leads to worse problems. By the way, where did Sarai and Abram come into contact with the woman we know as Hagar, right here. See, when they entered into the household of Pharaoh, that's where Hagar was. And that's where Sarai met Hagar, who eventually became, we know, her servant girl. And we know what happened there as well, because Hagar was an Egyptian who came out of Pharaoh's household. Verse 16 and he did, Pharaoh, treat Abram well on account of her. Abram received sheep and cattle and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. By the way, Hagar being one of those female servants. 
But verse 17 says, but the Lord. God steps into the mess that Abraham created. Why? Because it shows that God is faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. Oh, we sung a lot about that, and that is so true. We need to remind ourselves of that. God was faithful to Abraham even though Abraham at this moment was not being faithful to follow God or to trust God or to rest in God. You can always count on the Lord. And he'll only let things go so far because God's plan is not going to be thwarted. God promised Abraham these things, and God was going to make sure that he preserved, last word, preserved Abraham and Sarah. Otherwise, there was not going to be a child of promise in a great nation. And God said, I got to step in here. By the way, God doesn't necessarily like stepping into our messes, but God is always willing to step into our messes. God is willing to clean up our messes, just like he did here for Abraham. So the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe diseases because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Somehow, godless Pharaoh, it might have been that God himself revealed to godless Pharaoh what was going on here. How humbling for Abram, the man of God, to be rebuked by a godless Pharaoh. And yet that's exactly what happened because he didn't trust the Lord. And he went down to Egypt. Yeah, he did. He descended big time. Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Basically, I don't believe anything happened between Pharaoh and Sarai. She just for a while became part of what we would call his harem, his household. Here's your wife. Take her and go. And then notice, Pharaoh gave his men orders about Abram, so they expelled him along with his wife and all his possessions. And by the way, here's a parallel I don't want us to miss. Barry's, and you, again, can see Moses as he's writing this going, wow, there was such a parallel because when Moses and all the nation of Israel was delivered out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, they took so much more with them out of Egypt than they had when they come in, and Abram did the very same thing. Abram leaves Egypt with more than what he came with, not because he deserved it. He was acting unfaithfully at this point. It was because of the faithfulness of God to Abram and to the promises that God made to Abram. That's why he left Egypt with more than what he came with. All that Pharaoh gave him, he left with, just like they did in the book of Exodus, including a woman by the name of Hagar, who you and I know are going to come into play big time later on in the story. In this chapter tonight, God is reminding us, I want to call you into partnership with me. That partnership will have accompanying promises attached to it. In those promises, I want you to live as a pilgrim on this earth. And through your pilgrimage on earth, I want you to make worship a priority of your life. But know this, as we journey as a pilgrim on this earth, God will test our faith. He will put us in situations where we will see, are we truly going to trust him and rest in him 
and let him take care of us, even if it means doing something supernatural? Or are we going to do what Abram did and begin to scheme and plan it out and try to escape on our own? And what we learn tonight is, again, when you and I take to scheming to escape our problems, worse trouble is coming right around the corner. What we need to learn to do is even when the famines come, if you will, to stay where we are until the Lord directs us otherwise and trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not into our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him, and then he will direct our path. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the wonderful time we've had in your house tonight, God. Even Bethel is the name that means the house of God or house of the Lord. And God, we are thankful that we are in a Bethel here in the town of Gilbert. Thankful, God, that you provided this place for us. Thankful, God, that we have the technology for those that are home tonight and who can't be with us to be able to join us as well. Thankful, God, that you take care of us so well. And God, that you just ask us to trust you in each and every circumstance of life. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that whatever season we are in, whatever situation we are in, that, God, we will trust you in those seasons, that we will trust you in those situations so that our faith can continue to be strengthened, so that we can continue to travel with you as a pilgrim on this earth and continue to worship you, even on the high places of, of, of those that don't know you, so that, Lord, your name can be exalted and proclaimed, so that we can take ground for you and not just give it all up to the enemy. God, thank you for the wonderful life and story of Abram, and we're looking forward in the weeks ahead, God, to just gleaning so much to help us and to encourage us on our journey with you in this life. Thank you, God, for all who came out tonight. Thank you for the great refreshments that we've had tonight and we'll have here in just a few minutes. Thank you, God, for all that you do for us each and every day. And God, we just commit the rest of this day and we just offer God a great big thanksgiving to you, God. For it all comes from you and it all goes back to you. And we say all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.